This is the Daily Signal podcast for Monday, December 19th. I'm Virginia Allen. Annabella Rockwell was thrilled when she learned she had been accepted to Mount Holyoke College in Massachusetts, the oldest women's college in America. But Annabella received an indoctrination instead of an education during her four years at Mount Holyoke. Annabella became so consumed by the woke ideology being pushed on her that her mother consulted a cult specialist specifically to help her daughter find freedom. Today, Annabella and her mother, Melinda Rockwell, join the podcast to share their story and how Annabella ultimately became deprogrammed from the radical ideology she embraced in college. Stay tuned for our conversation after this. Conservatives have been on defense for too long. Now is not the time for excuses or apologies or any of the other nonsense in which our officials in Washington seem to specialize. It's time for conservatives to go on offense. We have solutions to get our country back on track. On The Kevin Roberts Show, I have honest conversations with bold leaders who are championing the comeback of America. Join us. Find The Kevin Roberts Show wherever you get your podcasts. Well, mothers and daughters go through a lot together. And in the case of Annabella Rockwell and her mother, they walked through a journey of being deprogrammed and essentially walking away from a modern day cult after college. Annabella and her mother, Melinda Rockwell, they join us now to tell their story from indoctrination to now Annabella working at PragerU. Annabella and Melinda, thank you both so much for being here today. Thank you, Virginia. Thank you. So Annabella, I want you just to share a little bit of of your story. You chose to go to Mount Holyoke in Massachusetts. Mount Holyoke is a very prestigious girls' school. It's one of the original Seven Sisters colleges. Why did you choose to attend Mount Holyoke? Mount Holyoke is the oldest women's college in the country, and I thought it was beautiful in Western Massachusetts. And it is so prestigious, as you said. I was so excited when I got in, and I knew that it would be so academically rigorous. I think I was almost surprised I got in, so I had to go there because it's such a good school. (laughs) Of course. Well, and what was that first semester like, you know, walking onto campus thinking, wow, I, I can't believe I'm here. You've worked hard. What were those first couple of months like? I was so excited. I was so eager to learn. It was a little bit of a culture shock initially coming from South Florida, which is where I went to school, to Western Massachusetts. The style was very different for one. You know, I've spoken about... um there was this kind of ritualistic haircut in the first semester where a lot of um, first years, as we called them, instead of freshmen, we didn't use the term freshmen because it was a women's college, first years they would sort of, you know, shave their hair as a form of rebellion and kind of, you know, allegiance to the community, if you will. So the style was just very different, but I was still excited. Everything was so different. It was so new and we were going deep into really um, interesting topics and I loved it at first. Yeah. And and when did when did you start to notice a shift in yourself or what were some of the things that you started hearing or maybe whether it was college professors or some of your fellow students that started to challenge maybe the way that you were raised or your own beliefs? 
My sophomore year was um, the Obama-Romney election, and I remember not agreeing with most of my peers mm-hmm. at the time, and that was the first time I think any political views had really been challenged, and I very quickly learned if I sort of said anything that I might be shut down, and I really started to question my own beliefs. I was like, well, maybe I am wrong. Maybe this isn't right. Mm-hmm. When I actually felt myself changing and seeing it, and it reflected in all my relationships outside of school, so, you know, with my family, my friends that I'd grown up with, was really my junior year because I started taking gender studies courses, and I was, you know, made aware of the patriarchy and the suppre- and the oppression that we experience in this country and how toxic it is, and that really the root of all of our problems in America is this toxic, white, you know, heterosexual, cis male culture. At the time I, I was dating, uh, you know, a, a man, I have a white father. And it just, it became such a complex of, um, you know, hatred towards the people that I knew. And it was, it made everything very difficult and very tense because it also came up constantly. It was such an obsession of, okay, there's this oppression now and we really have to fight it. And my mom, you're a victim. But, you know, she wouldn't accept that. And that caused contention between the two of us because I was Mm -hmm. trying to, like, show her what I had learned. Hmm. Well, Melinda, I would love to get your perspective. As Annabella was coming home from college on breaks or over the summer as you were talking with her on the phone, when did you start to pick up on, wait, something is different with my daughter? Well, um, you know, you expect certain things when people go to a liberal arts college and they get, they want to rebel against anything. It doesn't matter. And that's natural. But when it starts at a certain age, it's a different story. So she came home, uh, the first two years she had a, a, a beau that would come visit her. And that kept her a little grounded in the past and in being a little more, a little lighter. Like not everything is so serious. But by the time junior year came around, this serious, Robot came home, and the the one good thing I had was I had a had a cousin that was involved with uh, a cult with um, if I can mention it, it was Werner Erhard's uh, forum. It was out of Est, and I had seen um, a wonderful bubbly person there turn into a monster. So I recognized this cultish person, and then the turning point was um, she had a tennis coach, Scott Williams, who was one of the world class coaches, but he's also a heavy duty Christian minister. And he ministered in a way at tennis back at St. Andrew's School in, in Boca Raton, which he'd gone, that was, and he worked with, you know, uh, Chris Everett and Andre Agassi and Tommy Haas. He's still his coach. He's a big deal, but he would pull everything together to train kids in Bible studies for Old Testament and New Testament. So she went off as, I would hardly say a holy roller, but she went off that she would never, ever say anything against sort of Christ. And she said to me, Mom, are you still buying into all this Jesus Christ stuff? And I went, whoa. And she said it with a look on her face that was as if there'd been a body snatcher. Because my daughter, I don't care if she believed or not, she would never voice that opinion. And that's when I said something severely wrong. The next thing, every Facebook started changing. The people, all her old friends were off the Facebook. And I watched other people that she'd introduced to her friends picking up all her friends. I was aghast. And the clothes started changing to um, more militant look, not caring so much of how she looked and how she presented herself. This was a figure skater with competition and um, solos. She thrived on the applause. She thrived on having her hair look pretty and being a silly girl. She was a very smart girl, very competitive, but she was also a silly girl. So this monster came home, and I... 
you know, I knew something was severely wrong and it wasn't just natural because when you're 21 years old, you don't change. Mm. So you're watching and you're saying, where did my daughter go? Essentially is what it sounds like. She was not the present in that body. And my mother and my sister, very, very much um, involved with this child who'd been body snatched. Yeah. Annabella, for you, were there were there certain uh, professors or lectures that had sort of become uh, a new mantra for you or that you can look back on and think, oh, wow, you know, when this was said, you know, I really bought into X, Y and Z. Yes, actually, I do have a very specific instance in memory. It was for um, I can't remember which class. I think it was maybe gender studies or it was a history course I was taking because I studied history. That was my major. They had a couple come and this couple, they were trans activists and they came to speak to us. And it was a man and a woman or, a you know, presentably man and woman. It actually turned out that this man was a trans man. And this couple had originally been a lesbian couple. So it was two women and then one of one of the women transitioned into being a man and this man spoke about how he started to gain that kind of male privilege and be in the boys club and and basically and this was you know an, an auditorium that was filled listening to them so a lot of students came to this talk and I remember this lecture thinking wow like this one lesbian woman is losing her lesbian identity because her partner is transitioning into a man and this now man is telling us that he went from being you know a woman and discriminated against to now being a part of the boys club and has access to all these things and kind of the idea of like there's no room for a woman at the boardroom table right which isn't true it's not the case but I was really being told this and it shifted so much of my view because I started to look at people as having an inherent bias and feeling so sympathetic towards any kind of marginalized community and it was really pushed on us and then I really had this idea put on me that like I'm a woman because I'm a woman I'm other I'm I'm different you know I'm not just like a man in a man's world and that's so heavy and you know my mom kind of said that I came back really serious and that's it because everything did become serious everything turned into an issue and and I it made it so I couldn't just like be light anymore be happy I was constantly in this sort of mental prison of like well I there's so many things wrong in the world I have so many things I have to fight and the irony is that like you know now, on the other side, of course, I realize women do have equal rights. I've had so many opportunities. You know, I've been given everything. And it's such a shame that I was really trapped in that. And so many people are still trapped in that. And you you miss out on so many opportunities to further yourself, even if it's in your career, in your family, or in life in general, by by thinking that so many things are against you. Yeah, yeah. Melinda, when did you say, okay, I need to get my daughter help? And what did that look like? My mother was very much involved with this because she could not believe what had happened. And my sister, who was, my mother lives in the area. My sister was in New York. And I said, I've got to do something. So I started researching every sort of cult deprogrammer there was in the book. Uh, people who'd written books, people who charged a fortune, people who didn't charge a fortune. I remember finding a case in Connecticut where there was a something to do with um, a brainwashing. And I followed the case. I went through, uh, through the courthouse, I found who the lawyers were, and I found who the deprogrammers were. I read everything about every cult in history, whether it was the Moonies or the Children of God, and I was not going to tolerate this because my daughter did not grow and change naturally, organically. I saw the classes. I sat in the couple years for the um, parent uh, open house, and even the German class, the German teacher was babbling on about some gender thing. 
So having been a single mother, now her father was very much in her life, but I was a single mother who uh, picked up and moved to Nassau, Bahamas, got a job, worked, supported her, put her in private school, paid for all her lessons. For this to come out of my daughter's mouth was so insane, was so completely wrong. So the research I did was only about getting professional help. What could I do? Uh, Ross Perot had had people had a team once I knew somebody that would actually take the children out of the cults and put them in a motel. I did never thought about doing this, but I talked to the people to deprogram them because it was no different that if your child was on the street with drugs, would you leave your child there to be a drug addict or would you try to get them off the street and help them? It was the same thing for me, for her family. Yeah. And what did you find out about what you needed to do and, and what actually started to work as, as you were talking with individuals um, and they were giving you advice? The, sadly, the advice was all very, very, um, it wasn't the advice, the, the, the specifics were you're going to have a, it's almost impossible to get them out. It's almost never. And if you do, it takes seven years for them to get reprogrammed. If you're lucky, they all said pretty much to go with the flow. And I see emails now to another mother who was going through this at the same school and I said, I'm going to try and do what you are doing. I'm going to try and appease and tell her what she wants to hear, what the interventionists, what they really call themselves interventionists, um, tell me to do. But I ended up not doing that. I had um, my mother playing the, oh, whatever you want. Oh, really? It's a man's world? Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I couldn't have a bank account until the 1970s? Oh, I didn't know that. And I was just like, and I see there's a note. I said, I don't care. Don't you dare speak to me this way. You can have your brainwashing friends support you. So that was sort of, I went the opposite. And I did have one man that was, and I gave the price of $300 a day to show that he was not a uh, charlatan. He would charge $300 a day to move in with you for five days or two weeks or whatever, and plus food, to help realign your child with the original thoughts of what they were from. Which, uh, And I did not ultimately have him move in because... A miracle happened and a friend called and said, which can we have Annabella on a boat to um, the south of France for two weeks? And of course, I was ecstatic. But Annabella was so out of her mind with this roboticness, she wouldn't respond to any of the notes or the phone calls about getting on this beautiful boat. She did not pick up her ticket until the very last moment. So nobody knew she was going to get on. The friends were telling her not Mm -hmm. to go. I had not heard anything. I sent a bag packed her and a ticket and the last moment she decided something happened and she got on the the um the boat so at least I got her out of the situation for a little bit and I got a phone call in the middle of the night crying from a discotheque mommy I love you so much I love you so much thank you then it, it didn't just go back to normal after that we had to send her away from the situation we had to send her to business school which was another quickie thing within a month she was in Spain but wow um but it was a I will say it was a delicate dance with everything what did the interventionist say? What's working? What's failing? And yeah. the other people that did exactly what they were told, they don't have their children back, their grown children, but they don't have them in their families. Hmm. It sounds like you kind of drew a, a line in the sand and said, I'm not going to lie to my child. I'm going to be really clear, really straightforward. Annabella, how did you receive that from your mom as, as your mom was saying, hey, you're wrong here? I remember at the time just being so angry, but also really sad because I had this idea like, mom, you don't know who I am now. You don't understand me. And, and also feeling so conflicted because 
I, we had had such a close relationship growing up and I couldn't really understand why it had taken such a turn so Mm -hmm. negatively. And it was very hard for me to see my part in it at the time when I was still so in this mindset, because I was, had such these, such a strong identity in feminism and my mom would not affirm it. She, she wouldn't buy into it. You know, the example of the credit card, like I really felt that, you know, I was told that like women couldn't have credit cards and that we were second class citizens up until a certain point. And she wouldn't acknowledge that. And she would actually fight it and give me, give me other information and other real life scenarios. And I just sort of disregarded it because I'm like, Oh, she's my mom. She's going to tell me that regardless. Um, but it was very, very scary. I was very anxious. You know, of course it's so sad not having a relationship with your family when you've been so close with them, but you're, I also was very untethered to who I was. And because of that, I felt a little bit like I was drowning. You know, I, was trying to find sort of meaning again. And I was finding it in all the wrong places. I was finding it in these ideals. I remember even when I went to go live abroad, which part of that was to remove myself from the scenario. And I, I, again, was like running away. I was kind of searching for who I was before. I became really obsessed with environmentalism and it totally took over my entire diet and everything, you know, using paper towels, like the most simple thing became a really big deal because environment, like saving the environment was now the cause du jour. And like, it had to be my entire purpose. So it was really isolating was the feeling. I was very um, alone and felt like I had the burden of the entire world on me. Yeah. So then how did, how did you go from that place to reconnecting with your family and reconnecting with really who you, who you were and your core values and the values that you were raised with? Over time, you know, um, after business school coming back, I, and I actually worked on some political campaigns. I worked on the Clinton campaign <laughs> after she lost. I ended up going um, to New York, working on Wall Street and started to support myself. Well, I had been supporting myself, but I think that, um, I, in 2018, I really looked at myself and I made a lifestyle change. It was like the fighting with my family isn't working. You know, I maybe my, I'm not making the best health choices. Like, am I avoiding my feelings or am I just, kind of drowning them. Cause that culturally it's very normal to like just drink if you're feeling anything, you know? And so I looked at that, I was like, I think I need to go home for a bit and like really kind of get better. So I ended up moving home to Florida with my family and just sort of putting the work in to make some changes. A big part of it is I did open up to the idea of God again and sort of stop trying to control every situation and sort of accept, well, maybe there is something bigger than me and I don't have to do this all alone. I think that my mom speaking to people that told her don't affirm Annabella's new identities was very crucial because had she, who knows where I, I would be or what I would be doing. And I certainly wouldn't be myself and the person I've always been meant, meant to be. And then yeah. what really flipped everything was in 2020, finally seeing the Black Lives Matter riots and just waking up to the hypocrisy of burning down businesses in the name of empowerment isn't good for people. This isn't helping people. Yeah, maybe you're saying the intention is there, but it's not. This isn't helping. Defining the police isn't going to help anyone. And in that is where that curiosity of conservatism kind of started to evolve. And I started seeking out other outlets, a little less Rachel Maddow, a little more Tucker Carlson and asking questions. And that's actually when PragerU videos found me on on my newsfeed in Instagram. And then I started to just self-educate and kind of reprogram and basically unlearn and disprove all of these ideas that I'd been so beholden to. Well, and now you're the development director for PragerU as you've started to open up and share your own story and and work in that space at PragerU. Have you met other uh, young people that went through what you went through? And have you met 
other families that have journeyed through similar situations. Yes, we actually have our personality, Amla Apunabi, who had a very similar story. She was a progressive organizer. And it's funny because she was a progressive organizer at the same time that I was. And she had an experience where she too kind of saw the light. And for her, it was very race-centered. For me, it was very gender-centered But because she's half black, half white. And she has amazing stories. Her story is incredible about how she kind of saw the light as well, a similar time. And again, it was tied into the riots. Um, One thing I realized as I started to become conservative is I would start questioning people I knew, my peers at work. And it turned out that so many young people who are successful and fun, they love this country. You know, they think that it's a great, the best place to live. They are conservative. They are traditional. They believe in having families. And I started to realize like, wow, I was in such a silo of hating myself, hating the United States, hating our society. Like there are actually so many people that really love it. And it's very cool. Like it's cool to be conservative. It's not, you know, something of the past anymore. So I've heard, you know, also a lot of stories of people feeling like they're silenced and they can't speak their opinion. And, um, on the journey of working for PragerU, I have met a lot of families that are supporters and they have situations where, you know, they're dealing with similar things. Like maybe their kids are very progressive and and they don't have the relationship they had with them anymore, but they're finding some answers now, like in, in organizations like PragerU. Yeah. Melinda, what advice would you give to parents who are listening or watching this and might think, oh gosh, I'm, I'm going through the same thing with my child and I, I don't know what to do. What would you say to them? Well, Virginia, first of all, I right now in that position because so many people reached out to Annabella and parents and then she sends them to me. And my advice is, um, number one, I say I cannot advise you. I'm not an advisor. But I do say, nor am I a lawyer, you need a team. You need a team and you need to get into the little tiny mustard seed of a hole that you still can have there um, to remind the child about the past. And in some cases, there are, um, so we had the, the coach and, uh, my, her doctor was so excited. I brought her the post, him the post yesterday. And I, uh, said, Dr. Vincenti, look, here's Annabella. And he said, I, I was telling her about life. I was telling her I'm involved. I spoke to her. I'm like, yes, you did. Yes, you did. He was so happy. So I, you have a team because they're not going to listen to the mom and you've got to find. So one person, the breakthroughs are if they leave a Facebook open or something, or if they unblock you, one mother is so happy that out of the blue, the child suddenly unblocked them. You need a team. You need a team of the past to get through because the present, the people, the mob, the mob being, whether it's a professor, the parents of the students and the students completely encompass you. They would not let Annabelle alone. They sent her home with a handler her spring, uh, senior year. So you need a team and you need a team of old familiar people to get through to your child when they're not listening to the parent. Yeah, that's so critical. Annabella, for you, what was something uh, that your mom did that was so helpful that you would say would be advice for parents? Um, and, you know, what advice would you give for young people who are in that season of wrestling, who've maybe gone off to college and they're sort of exploring and they're pushing back maybe against some of the things that they were raised with. And, and some of that might be healthy, um, but there's a fine line there. What would you say to them? So to parents first, I would really drive home the idea of, you know, your child best. And if they are starting to act in a way that you don't recognize them anymore, 
don't accept it, you know, fight them back on it a little bit. And at the risk of maybe losing communication with them for a bit, it's very painful, but it's worth it because our relationship now is better than ever. And I think there's something to be said also of, you know, family keeping, keeping close, you know, having lots of people check in on your child if you feel that they're starting to, to stray. And to current students, I would say, if you're convicted, raise your hand. You have to challenge. You know, part of the problem is that schools now, universities, there is no room for discourse. And of course, there are people who are already very progressive and they believe in them. They have these ideas and they go to school and that gets nurtured. And that's fair. Not everyone's going to agree. But for those that don't agree, getting bullied into submission and then you're so bullied that you don't know yourself anymore because you're just agreeing with things. And then all of a sudden agreeing that becomes your truth. You know, don't allow it to happen to you. Don't make the mistake I did. Also self-educate. I really, really cannot stress that enough. You know, keep reading things, keep talking to people, watching things, you know, watch the daily signal. <laughs> um, just stay, stay educated, stay plugged in and speak up and, you know, converse with your family as well. Ask them questions or reach out to me even, you know, you can message me on Instagram. I've been talking to a lot of people, a lot of current students who've said, thank you. And I also think the power of prayer and just asking God for guidance, even if you don't believe, cause I really didn't believe in God for a while. And, you know, part of that humbling process of admitting I was wrong was like, well, maybe I'm going to try this out. Maybe I'm going to ask God for help. And then, you know, down the road, it, it's totally, it's the truth now. Hmm. Annabella and Melinda, thank you both so much for your time. We really appreciate just your willingness to share your story and be honest. It's so powerful. Thank you so thank much. Thank you Virginia. so much, Virginia. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Such a wild story. If you want to learn more about the work that Annabella is doing now, you can visit the PragerU website. But thank you all so much again for listening. If you haven't gotten the chance already, be sure to check out our evening show right here in this podcast feed where we bring you the top news of the day. Also, make sure to take just a moment during this Christmas season to leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We love hearing your feedback. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day. We hope your Christmas week is off to a great start. We'll be right back here with you at 5 p.m. for our Top News Edition. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. Executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen, Samantha Asheris, and Jillian Richards. Sound design by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. To learn more, please visit DailySignal.com.